In this episode, we hear from William Balance, the founder of Lavender.ai, a successful startup that offers AI-powered personalized email outreach. William shares his experience of traveling around the world while building his company, attending industry events, meeting investors, and working with his team. He also talks about the challenges and successes Lavender's had recently. And one of my favorite parts of the interview, of course, is when we jump into how Lavender is driving revenue and their strategy around communities and product-led growth. The episode also touches on the unique aspects of Lavender's platform and how it's different from all other cold email tools in the market. And at the end, William shares his perspective on failure and how it should be viewed as an opportunity to learn and evolve. You know, I follow you on Instagram and you're all over the place. Yeah, so, it's I mean, what's it like? I mean, you're building Lavender uh, and it's having tremendous success taking off from what we see. Mm-hmm. How the hell are you doing that and traveling so much and, you know, digital nomading it, if you will? Yeah, Lavender's going well. You know, obviously from the outside looking in, it looks like there's always like internal things that founders have to deal with. But right, right. On, on the whole, yeah, Lavender is doing well. People seem to really love the product. And most importantly, people are getting more replies. And like Twilio came and spoke for us uh, a week or two ago in Atlanta and was sharing their results. They had laid off 11% of their staff, uh, which is really sad. But right when they were implementing Lavender and even with 11% smaller workforce, they increased their demos booked by 60% compared to a year before. This is like September, 2022. So economy is declining, everyone's doing layoffs, budgets are frozen and Twilio attributes all of this back to Lavender. So people are getting real results and they're having to do a lot with less and Lavender kind of fills that gap, makes the sales reps more effective, but also more efficient. So yeah, it's going well, although you know we're, we, we're an early stage startup. So we're always having to, we have our own challenges to, to work through. Um, but the, one of the coolest things about this role has been the ability to, to travel so much. I, I got used to the remote work expat life, I guess, when I left New York to go to Mexico. And now the majority of Lavender had been built while I was in Mexico. So I got really mm. used to this remote first world. We built our team in this remote first world. So it was kind of, we were kind of by default a distributed but company. you're global though. I mean, it's one thing to be distributed yeah. across the US, but when you're in, you know, other countries and you're just not on the same time zone. So you're having to do yeah. work crazy hours, I would imagine, or ask people to be flexible in theirs. <laughs> it's been it's been a learning moment. Um <laughs> we it's all been all been tied back to business. So I, I mm-hmm. think I've never done done this with travel before, by the way. And it just kind of happened. I went to Toronto kind of randomly and then while I was there, I met a filmmaker. We ended up partnering on our Lavender Joe videos, which is like the story of a kind of a cringy salesperson doing cringy things to real people. And so I started going back and forth to Toronto. That was like when the travel started. And then we did our, uh, we did a conference Saster in San Mateo. So I was in California for that. And then uh, Nick Capozzi from Demostack was like, you guys should go to Web Summit, which is a conference in Portugal. And so I was like, that sounds fun. Let me go to yeah, that. It's the largest right. conference in the world. So I went to, I went wow, to, um, yeah. And one of our, one of our, one of our friends on LinkedIn through the power of LinkedIn got me like a speaker's guest pass. So I had like a free backstage pass. It was really cool. And I was like, I'm already going to Europe for this conference. What else can I do while I'm here? We have an angel investor that's in uh, Barcelona. We had um, Outreach, who's a partner of ours. They're having a conference, a day-long conference in London. Mm-hmm. And then um, a VC had told me about a conference in Finland called Slush, which is just a tech conference in the Nordics. 
And I think that I was thought, the one okay. where you the, the after party was pretty lit. I mean, I know there's several of them, but yeah, you know, it's <laughs> the the scene was it's, lit. It was. It was it's fun. funny how it happened. Yeah. So I was at Web Summit in Portugal, and it was hard to get a, like an Uber right after the conference was was wrapping up. So I went to this hotel that was across the street. I was hanging out in the hotel lobby, um, and I just met this guy that was sitting next to me and he's like hey i'm from finland and i throw the best after party at slush festival you should come (laughs) yeah so it's like invite only yeah and i I was already thinking about going to slush but i i wasn't like set in stone because finland seemed like so far away Mm -hmm. but then i realized then i found out that our angel investor who lives in barcelona he was one of the speakers so he's like i've got an extra ticket you can have this free ticket to slush so i decided to go so it ended up being this, uh, like these three conferences that kind of set the anchor of the trip. And then there's a company in Poland, Woodpecker. They're an email automation company, and I've used them my, myself for several years, and always been a fan of of their company. And they're like, "Hey, if you're in Europe, come to Poland. We'll host you in Poland, and we'll take you to around. I went to Prague with them. So it's like one thing after another. Um, it, it was." a little challenging with the time difference, but it was more challenging with all this other stuff happening. I'm having to work with our team, but also we were, mm-hmm. we were also in the middle of like closing our series A and congratulations also, by the way on that. That was huge. Appreciate that. We signed the term sheet when I was in Portugal, which was, it you made the rest of that. that. Tri- <laughs> it made the rest of that trip a lot better. Cause it was like the first week of the Euro trip and it made the rest of the adventure just I mean, it was also stressful because we signed the term sheet. Then you go into a month of diligence and like lawyers and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. for them, it was it was cool to know that, that that was coming. But for the most part, the time zone was not a not a major issue, except in Finland. Finland is pretty far away. It's like an eight hour time difference. So I'm taking team meetings like 11 p.m. Um, that part was not the best. My team was flexible though. We did do some shuffling of when the meetings were, but. You know, I think the coolest part about it was with the time difference, I could get up and have like an entire day to myself where no one's DMing me, no one's emailing me, no one's texting me because they're all asleep. And I get up and have a whole day in the morning, uh, kind of myself, I can work, I can explore. And then in the around noon or 1 1 p.m., the team starts coming online and we start having our meetings. And yeah, it's a longer day, but it was a more fulfilling day because I think Mm -hmm. in the U.S., it's like you get up, you're on immediately, you work until essentially days over. And that's like the entire day where when I was in Europe, I had the ability to, it felt more balanced. I was having like my own time in the morning and then I had the, the company time in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, the long, you can benefit from the longer day actually. It's, yeah. And I think it's the reverse for some of us where we do the meetings and the calls and the FaceTime, the green time from a seller, you know, during the day. And then you go into that evening stretch where it's the creative time. I mean, we're not exploring our neighborhood, maybe not yeah. so much besides the walking yeah. dog, but you know, doing some of that, that stuff. So you've had a lot of changes. Uh, we interviewed you. Uh, I interviewed you 10 months ago, exactly uh, on the 10 bound sales development uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So you've traveled a ton. You've got the, the funding. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've grown and you've hired. Uh, what else has changed for Lavender in the last 10, 10 months? The product's a lot better. Um, I think the biggest change is we have a team now, like you mentioned, we we raised the funding, went from essentially being bootstrapped with some angel capital, went to Saster, we threw a rave and that kind of set this ball in motion of, 
a couple of weeks later, we had raised $2.2 million. And then three weeks later, we had signed a term sheet for another 11 million. And it kind of came out of nowhere when historically we'd been super undercapitalized. It was me and my co-founders doing almost everything. And then we were able to start even off of, even as we were going through diligence with the series A and like closing out the legal documents, we already had the two 0.2 million in the bank. So we could start doing hires. That was great. Um, and now we can hire more aggressively and we are hiring more aggressively, which is an interesting uh, transition as a founder, because it used to be us, we're the creators, we're doing every single thing. And now it's more an evolution into your manager and a recruiter of people. And it's all about putting the people in the right places. So that's like a- We'll put a tweet out. I think it was yesterday. Uh, Will already said, mm-hmm. this transitioning from uh, a- Builder to a leader is real or something yeah. to that effect. So you guys That's are interesting. making that uh, transition on dealing with that, grappling with those, that, that yeah. transition. Yeah, it's a, it's a new skill set. And we've had some experiences before. When we first started the company, we had a large group of interns that we had during COVID around 20. So we had a, at that point in time, honestly, a larger <laughs> team than we have now, but it's different when they're interns or part-time versus when they're full-time and they're senior level type people. Yeah, it's yeah, a really big transition. Uh, we made a lot of changes in our product as well. We've incorporated more of uh, generative AI. We with like Chat GPT and GPT three. There's more of that in the product. We've expanded our personalization feature, so now it's way faster for someone to send a really personalized email, hmm. do all the research on their prospect without leaving their inbox, and just overall like really just doubling down on our on our goal of helping sales teams write better emails faster using using AI. And I think one of the the core points of view that we have is that a lot of companies are trying to replace the sales rep and they're going like full automation. And as a prospect, I hate when I receive just purely automated templated emails. If you're not going to give me three minutes of research on who I am. And well, I'm just especially like, you are going to be sensitive to that, I'd imagine. <laughs> it's funny how many people will like email me and they're like, Hey, I love lavender. Like, congrats, like blah, blah, blah. And they have this whole email. It follows none of the things that we talk about. And then it's like, PS, sorry, I didn't use lavender on this email. And I'm like, if you're going to email the founder of lavender, you should probably you, you yeah, know, yeah. You, use the use the tool or at least and pretend. a little jab at the end it's actually working against you <laughs> not for you it is yeah. free <laughs> there you, mm-hmm. can, you can sign in right now and, and tap in and use some of it um, yeah absolutely so i think it's always funny but um that's yeah. in the biggest change like we've just really been able to build out the the team and we're still in the early stages of that we built out the team we were six people in december now we're at 16 it's still a small wow. team but yeah. you know it's Three X wise, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we're hiring right now. So, what are you hiring uh, for? I think primarily for product and engineering. Mm-hmm. We're starting to put some feelers out for more go-to-market leadership in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, always looking for great salespeople. We have a lot of them come to us because of who we are and our, our brand. Yeah. So it's really, I think it's we have a high bar set for the next round of salespeople we hire, just because there is a lot of inbound leader leads for that. But the primary focus right now is really staffing up on engineering and product. Um, I think it's been one of our our like our an Achilles heel of ours, but also it's been a really strong point of ours. Like we've built this product that's used by companies like Twilio um, or Demandbase or Sendosa. These companies, like lots of people really know, but our product was built by two engineers. It was our CTO and, and our first ever full stack engineer we hired back in 2020. We had some interns and other people along the way, but primarily it was just these two people that built this product that's used by thousands of people around the world. Uh, but because of that, because our team was so like kudos to them for building a product people really like with very, very, with a very small team. 
but it also means that we're now starting to build out features and things that we find to be like really innovative in the space that we were we had put on our roadmap back in 2021. So we're like two years behind on where we on our roadmap. So now like really staffing up the engineering team to go through that backlog of stuff that I think is be a really great addition to the product. That's like that's like number one priority, just getting the team that the engineers really need to to execute. So in terms of like release schedules, you're doing small minor things i would imagine along the way as you can and then you probably have some big some big changes brewing that yeah. would you'll release and make big announcements about not that you could tell us what it is but do you have about a timeline of when that next big change is, is scheduled to be announced i think there'll be some big stuff coming out in the next 30 days or so um but i think you're but you're totally right on how we approach how we're doing the the release schedule so mm-hmm. every sprint that we're doing our teams working on like some net new things and also working on polishing up some things that are, are broken or could be optimized. One of the like downsides of the team being so small for so long is we know that there are a lot of inefficiencies and things in the product that a bug or something that's like too complex for a user to work through or our onboarding is not perfect. Like, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And we're aware of that. We've got a massive backlog uh, of things to work on. But fortunately, none of those things have prohibited our users from getting a lot of value from the product. And I, I, one of our users were like, all the quirks in the product, it makes it more endearing because everyone's so mm. close to the founders. But you know, as the company gets bigger, and now we're like, we're not just the founding team anymore, we get the users start to get more removed from the founders. And I think they'll be, and as the companies that we sell to become larger, there's like less margin for error. So um, a lot of what we're doing right now is clean up, fixing some of the things that are a byproduct of being bootstrapped for so long, while also knowing that we need to to kind of push the envelope on what's coming next in in sales email. Well, that's exciting, man. I mean, that's it, you guys have come on the scene and really made a splash. A ton of people, if not everyone, is using Lavender that is in my circle. So yeah. I, I know it's well adopted that way. Talk to me about your go-to-market strategy a little bit. Uh, this is the sales consultant podcast. And one of yeah. the things that we're trying to do is understand what's working in terms of what's driving revenue. So what's the, the that big bet, that big thing when you think about what's happening right now to help drive revenue for Lander Out, outside of using your own product? Um, what's that go-to-market strategy, that play or that tactic that's having a big significance in, in driving revenue for, for a successful company like yours? Yeah. I think we have a long way to go before I'd say we're successful, but we're definitely more successful than we were when we got started. It's been a long journey and still a long journey to go, but there are some things that we've done that I think worked really well. And we've really approached our go-to-market kind of as like a hybrid. So I came from a sales background, but when we started the company, we were were just a couple of people and we we were trying to wear so many hats. We knew that we couldn't go purely full sales outbound as our go-to-market. We didn't have enough time in the day versus the two of us. So we really went leaned heavy on, on content and community in that was not really intentional. The content Mm. part was, we know if we posted on LinkedIn, like people would find us somehow, but I don't think we, we expected how passionate and how large the community was going to be. And it kind of seems like it happened out of nowhere, but we've been posting on LinkedIn since COVID since, since lockdown. So it's been you know, over two years. Right. But that was really the key was we went into this with kind of a product led motion when just traditionally most 
sales tech companies were top-down enterprise sales. And we launched a product that an individual SDR or AE could install uh, and start using without ever talking to their manager or their team or IT or even putting in a credit card because there's a free trial and a free version. Right. So we have a product that anyone can adopt on their own. And then if they get success from it and they like it, they start telling their team. And then naturally the manager will reach out and do a demo and then sales can close the team account. But for a long time, a lot of our revenue was coming just from individual SDRs that were paying us at the time 20 and, and now 30 bucks a month. So very affordable for them, especially if they're doubling their reply rate, it makes right, up right. for it in commission. Right. And then there's obviously like extra intelligence features and coaching features and team features that is interesting to the enterprise. But we've approached it as like this hybrid motion, kind of like a Slack where we can adopt the team without ever talking to a manager. The individual reps can come in and use the product and get value. But once you make it a multiplayer experience and the whole team is learning from each other's data and that's getting reinforced in their recommendations, it becomes really attractive to a team leader as well. And so we're, we're a hybrid. We have the product-led, marketing-led side of the business, which really gets awareness atop of funnel. And then we have our AEs that demo, do pilots if needed, and close the business. So in terms of the community side, because that's obviously paying off really well. You have a lot of you know people sharing their use and you know talking about Lavender and how they're, it's helping them. And so building on that, do you have someone dedicated to like community enablement is... Is there a role dedicated to that within the organization? There is now. Um, previously, there wasn't. It was just really me and Will. Mm -hmm. Will Allred. Um, we've hired Jen Allen, who used to be at Challenger. And now she's really leading up our our community, but not so much our LinkedIn community. She's building bridges with with other communities, with partnerships, sponsorships. Like modern and, and selling and the pavilion. Exactly. And Women in sales, like a lot mm -hmm. of those types of organizations. So she's working with that. But I think for people listening that are trying to do community-led growth, what really worked for us was our, our people tried it's really interesting to see recently, like people are going on, on LinkedIn and like dissecting what they think Lavender's strategy is, or Lavender used this text, or they did this or that. And it's not that serious. I mean, it was pretty simple. <laughs> I love that. It's like, uh, it's kind of happened organically. You do put our, some things in we, place and yeah. Yeah. Our, our strategy was we just give, we give first. That's like one of our core values. We give first without expectation. Our product's free. Our content's free. We don't gate anything. And we just know that if we did that long enough, you know, people will eventually use our, like, like our content, probably they'll use our tool. Of course, not everyone does. Like we give our product away to job seekers. The majority right. of them get a job and they're probably not salespeople. Like they're getting jobs for all sorts of things. And after they're, they find the job, they don't use the product, but mm -hmm. some of them do, like some of them mm -hmm. stay and some of them take it into their team. So this idea of giving first was like the key pillar. We got our first users by cold outbounding to people that were laid off from Airbnb during COVID. And that was before Lavender was for salespeople. It was really just for anyone. And we've been giving it away since the very beginning. And then when we started building content, we had the same strategy. Let's give away informational content every day. And that's in a world where a lot of people, they put out content on LinkedIn and then it's like, hey, you can also buy my course or buy my right. ebook or, or things my like webinar. that. Mm -hmm. my webinar, yeah. And we just were like, let's just put it out there. And then the other side of it was, so like, Give first, be informative, be helpful, and then try to be different and creative when possible. So I like do things that would not be expected of a B2B SaaS company. 
our highest converting landing page ever. I got so many people that would write in like your landing page sucks. This is the worst site I've ever seen, et cetera. This is like, it's so unprofessional. If you thought about changing this, it was a claymation wizard and had no above the fold CTA, but we converted like a quarter of our web traffic. And I, my suspicion is that it's just, you landed on it and you're like, what am I looking at? And it just, temp yeah, yeah. it tempts you to scroll. Like, what am I seeing? I've never seen this on a B2B SaaS company's website. And it's a massive pattern interruption. Just like we mm. launched three EDM songs. We made, right. uh, we've launched some, like some random videos through a rave at Saster. Our Lavender Joe videos have come out and have been really comedic. So we're always trying to find things like that. that are going to just stand out in the community and, and kind of give people a breath of fresh air when they're under pressure to hit their quota, their, their boss has different demands for them. Like they're in the stress of a sales job, but Lavender can a help them, but also entertain them along the way. Right. Uh, you guys are doing phenomenal work with that. The, I have this image in my mind that the the two of you or your team are somewhere in, with a, a big ass whiteboard <laughs> and just like brainstorming this massively innovative, creative stuff that you guys are putting out. Cause it is, it is an, uh, a total pattern interrupt, but how do you keep up with that? I mean, that's like, you guys are setting the bar really high for yourself a, a year from now, you still have to keep people on the edge of their seats. How, how are you going to do that? How do you do that? It's one of the things that, that we're learning. So <laughs> it, it used to be like, I would just scroll the internet trying to find interesting ideas. That's how the claymation kind of came about. Or even the EDM song, uh, one of our users, Sims Tillerson, he now has a lavender wizard tattoo, but one day Sick. someone had posted <laughs> posted a, um, a comment on LinkedIn and just said, I'm asking my network, what is your favorite cold email tool? And Sims commented, it's lavender, duh. And I saw that and I was like, that's a meme. So, and how some for somehow I connected that to let's go make an EDM song and drop it on April Fools. So, like it's just I think it's just seeing things going with and it and being open. I love that. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. not everything works. So right. we've sure. we also we we've done some stuff that fell flat. We've done some stuff that went really viral. We've done some stuff that was somewhere in between. But I think one of the keys is that we're not afraid to to try things. And a lot of times the B two B companies get really caught up in the fact that they're B two B companies and they have to have to appeal to the enterprise and things like that. And I think what we what we re really realized early on is even though we're a B2B product, our users are just consumers. Like when they're not at work, they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, they like memes, they send funny jokes in their group chat. Like they're regular people just like us, especially the average SDR who's maybe a couple of years removed from college. And that's who we're speaking to. So we thought about what are the things that they like to do in their free time? And let's just bring that to them in an interesting way to their, to their work day. Um, I think the cool thing is that we do have to keep setting the bar higher. We have other companies that are starting to, they've even told us we're going to copy you. Like, and then now we're seeing it happen a lot, but you got to reinvent yourself though at some point, right? To yeah. stay ahead of that. It's the exactly. approach. Yeah. And that, that's the interesting thing is that we already are planning out like some of the campaigns we're going to be doing later this year, even next year. We kind of see how the evolution of different storylines that we have right now, like right. Lavender Joe, for example, right. how's that going to evolve? What other characters are coming into his universe? Because we know like Lavender Joe at some point is going to become redundance it's gonna be you've seen it so many times well like, i mean joe's been around for geico for a while you know or flow yeah say, right? flow yeah. yeah it's funny everyone everyone relates it back to even my grandparents and my mom <laughs> like it's like flow from progressive yeah um yeah so we'll see how long that goes but 
Uh, I think there'll always be something new. We've got really a creative team. We we hired um, Will Aiken, who was at SalesFeed, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Todd Klauser, who was at Refine Labs. And we've got a, a really creative team that's that true. is putting together content. Will Aiken is someone who I, I'm always impressed with how he just pulls creative ideas out of nowhere. Like we we did a a meme today of Lavender Joe like parried with the the show you from from Netflix like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of stuff that he just comes up with out of nowhere and I think it's really funny so well when you give someone that you know autonomy I think is part of mm -hmm. that too you hired someone who's really good at what they do uh, you have a group around you where you guys are you know having fun in the process and it's fueling this these creative this creative energy so it looks like a great place to work you're hiring and you know so anybody that hasn't already you know, heard that part. Definitely lots of positions available <laughs> at Lavender. Great place to be at. Uh, Will, I love following your stuff on Instagram and Will Allred as well. He puts out fire. You're talking about giving away the content, the 70 page odd deck that he puts out with like, yeah. this is the, this is the recipe. There's nothing, no gated. These are the, this is the slides. And if people just followed that, even if they didn't use Lavender and they just followed that game plan, you'd have above the 5% average that, that you see. I want to put the gloves on though for one moment, not me with you, but you with the rest of the market because Lavender's not the only organizational B2B you know, company that's trying to help companies write emails better, right? So AI, you mentioned chat GPT, you're doing some work with that. Other companies are, are doing some of that as well. There's Scribe has come on with Lead IQ. Um, so how... It goes back to the you know innovating, staying in front of the curve a little bit. How are you differentiating yourself now that they're starting to see more and more of these personalization AI tools out there? I mean, do you combine the two? You sound like you already have already combined Chat GPT. So in my mind, I'm thinking I write a personalized email for free. Through, you know, I pull some stuff out of Chat GPT, layer on Lavender, boom, I got an email. Um, but Talk to me about the competition or the, the AI aspect of it. And if that's something that you guys are worried about. Yeah. You know, the generative AI part as a hot of a topic it is right now, that's the easiest part to replicate. A lot of companies are out there and they're just a front end that they've put on top of GPT-3 by OpenAI. We've had, so chat GPT is powered by gpt 3.5 and the latest until re they launched an API for chat GPT like last week, but until then the most recent version that was publicly available was GPT three by OpenAI, and they'll have GPT four later this year. We've had GPT three in our product since 2021. So mm. for two years, it's already been part of our product. And now a lot of companies will pop up, especially cause it's so hot. And these companies are trying, a lot of them are trying to IPO and it's a down market and it's the hot, the hot new thing. So let's like haphazardly throw chat GPT into our product. I'm seeing some of that happen with companies. Not, I'm not saying I'm not calling anyone out. Cause I think it, I think it's kind of table stakes. Now you have to incorporate right, right, this right. element of AI, mm -hmm. but we've always thought of it as just one part of our product. Like Lavender does so many things. It helps you write a better email. If you need help starting that email, you can use our start my email feature, which is the generative AI powered by OpenAI, ChatGPT, et cetera. Um, if you want to personalize the email, we're pulling in data from several providers and right. just bring it into your workflow. But the, really the interesting thing is that we have this email intelligence platform that it's kind of like 
not not my words, our users describe it as kind of like a Gong-esque platform for email intelligence. And obviously Gong's way bigger than us, way further along, way more sophisticated. But in the spirit of Gong, this coaching email intelligence product that um, has nothing to do with generative AI, but that's where the team's really getting a lot of the value. Like they're able to see where are my reps underperforming, what's working in my templates, what's working mm. in our personalized emails, um, what was working last month versus this month or last season versus this season. You can do a lot of analytics and, and filtering to see which reps need more help, which ones are doing really well. It's like a dashboard or like a, re- a, a series of reports that you run. Like how do you see that data? Yeah. It's a dashboard that's continuously learning about every rep on your team and then your team overall. It also benchmarks you based on your historic data from before you had Lavender. So it will tie into your Gmail, Outlook, Outreach, Salesloft, and it sees like what's worked in the past, what has not worked. And let's use that to train the algorithm that Lavender uses to score your email. Mm. The generative AI parts can take that data into account. So we're combining third-party data with your first-party data with our intelligence as well to give a really custom solution that's tailored to your organization. So companies that are just taking the chat GPT API and allowing you to interface with it and say, write me an email, like nine out of 10 times that email is going to be like, hope this finds you well, and it's going to have 300 words. So the AI is not really quite there yet to be completely unassisted. And it's also not what we think is best for the world. Like if you are using chat GPT to generate an email, and then you have a service that puts those emails into a sequence and they automatically send it. And the human's really not involved in that process. To me, that is classic definition of spam. Right. And Google has already started to, to to lower the rankings of blogs that were written by GPT-3. OpenAI has released an API to detect AI written um, text. So, so this like, AI detection thing is out there. I mean, I, I don't know. That, that sounds like a really yeah. difficult syntax to be able to, uh, you know, yeah. codify because, you know, if I could pull something out of GPT, I could just wordsmith it a bit and... I'm done. So then that means higher ed is already tapping into that because I'm sure every student is already trying to do that in their essays. Yeah. I've seen some products launched from Product Hunt that are purely there to detect students that have written research papers or done their homework using I chat my daughter. I just turned around to chat so GPT last week and she was like, oh my God, I can do all my homework with this. And I'm like, well, I don't think they can tell. So uh, I could... They can tell, <laughs> but, but honestly, I love it. And I, I use it, I use it kind of like I use Google. Like, I think that's where chat GPT becomes really interesting. Right, right, and, right. and also how we're, how we're thinking about it in our product. Like it's not there to replace you. It's there to mm-hmm. work alongside you, make you more efficient. I can pull in data or have it research my prospects company, like what's happened recently for them and, or have it quickly summarize a financial report or something like that. And without leaving my workflow, like that's really powerful. It saves you a lot of time. Do I think I should use chat GPT to write my email for me and not have me edit it at all. I personally know. Um, And I I think, I think what's going to happen is if, if that becomes widespread, then companies like Google will have an interest in filtering it out as spam or putting in the other tab or the promotions tab, because it's, AI automated writing that's then put into an automated sequencer and sent out automatically. Like nothing about that is really not spam. And that's where a lot of our competitors are. I think that's where they're pointing their their product roadmap currently, where I think GPT 
ChatGPT. There's the tons of models. Google has Bard. There's Cohere. There's there's Anthropic. There's lots of models coming out, uh, large language models. But whichever one that you put into your product, they they I think everyone's going to have one. And some people will try to replace the the worker, and other ones like us are going to try to just empower the worker to be more efficient with the without having it replace them. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that everyone is in the space is trying to keep their, you know, attuned to it's just, there's so much information coming out about this so quickly. It's definitely an influx. Um, last couple of questions and I'll let you go. Uh, going back in time when you and Will and the team uh, started Lavender and started working on the product, I know there was the, what was it? The personality science-based marketing platform that you started on COVID happened and then you pivoted because you knew people were going to be sending more one-to-one -one emails. I remember you saying that in our last interview. Obviously, mm -hmm. I went back and listened to it. So, like, how did you know? <laughs> like, you made a big bet making that pivot, and it yeah. seems to be paying off. I mean, I know you're going to, you know, lower the uh, my my hype of it, but it seems like it's paying off huge, and you guys are having tremendous yeah. success. So. Like, did you, was it mad? Did the, was the wizard in your ear or did he poof, yeah. give you some pixie dust? How did this happen? I mean, how did you know to make that pivot or was it just serendipitous and things worked out uh, kind of like what you've been explaining? There's a few things. And of course we want to be humble here. There's a lot of things we want to do right before we were tremendous success, but, but thank you. You know, I appreciate that. Of and um, I'm just glad the community has really adopted and, and likes the product that we're building. Um, it was a combination of things. So we were building a, a platform called Sorter. We had spent almost two years building this, Sorter.com, and it was a personality marketing platform. It would do data segmentation of your audience. It would categorize them by how they thought through a buying decision. So for example, if someone's really data-driven, then you'd want to send them an ad or an email that focused more on the details of your product. Like maybe it's a little bit longer of an email, longer of an ad. Someone who's more action-oriented, just remove all friction to buying because they typically want to get started. And there's some, some a deeper explanation of the science behind it, but that's the gist. Like segment your audience by their personality type hmm. and then help you optimize the email or the ad that you're going to send them. So part of that product would analyze the marketing copy of our user and say, is it the right copy for the audience that you're trying to target? So like the analytical thinkers or something like that. We had a few customers, early pilots, early case studies, and honestly, a pretty healthy pipeline of well-known brands that wanted to use this or at least try it out for pilots. And this was more of a top-down sale. There was not a product-led motion. And the COVID happened and we like our biggest customer was a co-working space and they can't even operate during lockdown. So we lost them. A lot of our pipeline were these large automotive companies. People were not buying cars during COVID. They weren't going anywhere. And there's so much uncertainty. And we were pretty bootstrapped at this point. And just a couple a little bit of angel funding. We had maybe 45 days of runway left, right around the time that we lost our pipeline and we lost our current handful of customers. So we were pretty sure we were going out of business. People freeze their marketing budgets typically when things get really uncertain. And we were seeing that happen. And honestly, we just saw an article that LinkedIn was making some adjustments to LinkedIn sales navigator for Gmail. We saw an article in TechCrunch and we're like, we already have data on people that were buying to make the personality prediction. What if we just spent the weekend and spun up a little Chrome extension to put in Gmail that would show you data on the people that you're emailing? 
And we, by the way, we also have this tech that we're using to analyze the writing for marketing copies and figure out the sentiment and the emotion and things like that. Let's just combine it and see kind of what happens. We thought maybe we could make $15,000 to extend our runway an extra month just to kind of get through lockdown back when lockdown was supposed to be a really short thing. And we just thought it would be a fun side project that would keep us alive a little bit longer. We already own the domain trylavender.com. So we're like, let's mm. just call it Project Lavender. We already have it and kind of just put it out there. And then we sent it to a few people. Like there was no ICP. It was not going to be a sales tech product. <laughs> I mean, you had we the weekend. <laughs> yeah. We thought people could have job, could find, help it to find jobs or use it to find jobs. Um, but then in our first handful of users, like people really loved it. They thought it was super simple to use. Our eighth beta user was an angel investor and we didn't even pitch him. We just said like, Hey, try it out. You talk to a lot of companies and he wrote back, I'm using it on a third of my inbox. It's really sticky. I'll help you. I'll fund you for three months if you want to pivot. And we had this like hunch that because everyone's in lockdown, I, I had come from sales. So I was thinking like, because everyone's in lockdown, at the time, the average sales team, 70% of their outbound was cold calling and maybe 30% on a high end was email, likely largely automated. And with COVID, the amount of, of outbound emails like instantly went up by 16%. Reply rates dropped immediately 8%. That's some data from Clary, who's a customer of ours. And what we were thinking was, at that point in time, a lot of the data providers had office numbers because people were in the office. And now everyone's calling cell phones. But back then it was office numbers. If no one's in the office, who's going to answer the phone? And even us, we were trying to figure out our ICP. We were cold calling customer success orgs, marketing orgs, HR orgs, sales orgs. No one answered the phone because no one was in the office. But we thought if you can't reach your prospects by the phone, they're going to email them. And let's just build a product around that use case. And really early on, a lot of the, the, somehow the sales reps started finding it on LinkedIn. And one of the really interesting things was those people promoted it. They wanted to post about finding so lavender. Day one. One, yeah. Wow. Yeah. One of the first people was, um, you might know him, Nick Bennett. He posted about lavender and, uh, we're like, wow, this random person found our product and then made a post on LinkedIn about it. That's really interesting. I wonder if more people would do that. And now it's been a big part of our growth. People just, our users go post for us. They're like our best sales reps. Right. I remember that's what I asked you uh, in our first interview is, you know, because I was always trying to understand what's driving success for SDR teams. And you didn't have an SDR team. You're like, our users are our SDRs. And I thought that was a brilliant line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cool. But yeah, that was really the key. Um, I wouldn't say it was like we were geniuses or anything. It was just like that we were right on the money with the timing of the market and what was happening. And we made a big bet. We didn't have time for customer discovery. We had a month, month and a half of runway left. It was a Hail Mary. And thankfully it worked, but yeah. it was one I of mean, those it was things. A, like, it was an educated guess. It wasn't some yeah. shot in the dark necessarily. It was, this is where the market's going. Two plus two is four. We have the skill, the tech. You know, opportunity has presented itself. And I love that how this was born out of failure, you know, and I think that's a, a tremendous learning lesson for anybody who's trying to start their own thing or, you know, do something new for the first time, whatever that might be, is sometimes you got to fall on your face, uh, maybe more than once in some cases to get to, to have that success, which has worked out for you guys. Well, is working out so far, you know, you got a long <laughs> ways to go. He said. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that I really love about the startup world. And like I came from 
like sales before that. And in sales, like failure is not celebrated. Like you got to hit your quota. You got to hit your numbers. You got to do your activity. But for entrepreneurship in the community, it's failure is, if you think of failure as a way to learn and evolve, it's like really celebrated. So every, I was thinking of this earlier, one of our team members asked like, how'd you learn so much about startups and things like this? And I was like, I've been doing startup type things since I was in college. You know, this is now 13 years of aggregated learnings. And I've tried multiple ideas, multiple startups, both with my co-founders and before that. And some were moderately successful. Like I had a Snapchat filter e-commerce store that did well, um, kept me alive for a while. But there's like things I've learned along the way. I had to learn how to do user interface design. I had to learn how to uh, do like community building. I already had the sales side from being a sales rep, but there were things I had to learn at each failure. And when Lavender came along, it's just like, kind of like you said, it was an educated pivot. We had the skills, we had the tech, we had all these things we had learned from struggling for years that we were able to just bring together and um, with really, with, you know, really fortunate market timing that we happen to identify. And also the same time that everyone moved from LinkedIn being a place to host your resume to a mm -hmm. real social network, because people are looking for that, that connection they're missing during lockdown. We started posting on LinkedIn, like July, 2020. So we kind of, we timed the market, we timed LinkedIn. We had to post on LinkedIn because we had no other way to acquire customers. We had no money. And all these things just kind of came together. Scrappy, at the right time. you just made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you for this. Yeah. And if you um, go on LinkedIn, that's where we're, we're mostly at. It's Will Balance with two L's on TikTok at Will Startup. And you just search Will and Lavender and you'll find me <laughs> or one of the other Wills. We're there. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.